The HALO Project Calculator offers a formula that calculates the monetary value for places of worship in cities across Canada. On the basis of the HALO's formula, John Longhurst, faith columnist for the Winnipeg Free Press, writes that Winnipeg churches contribute a value of $1.5 billion to the city. For Steinbeck, that figure is almost $134 million. Brandon is $90 million. Winkler, $69 million. Those are big numbers. How can it be, then, that by all measures the church across society is in decline? Numerous studies now declare regular church service attendance as one or two times a month. Volunteerism on traditional church committees is fading quickly, and so is giving. Congregations across the spectrum are closing at unprecedented rates, especially in rural areas. And some congregations are reorganizing themselves for this new reality. Others are in denial. Some are playing a wait-and-see game. And yet others are reinventing themselves again. Younger generations are letting go of traditions, and elders are holding on mourning lost traditions. All of these things are happening at their respective denominational levels too and at a rapid pace. How do we hold things together in such times? Where can we find hope of a new future for the church? Hi, my name is Dan Dick and welcome to Church Matters. With me today is Willard Metzger, Vice President of the Canadian Council of Churches and Executive Director of Mennonite Church Canada. Willard has seen the realities churches are facing across the nation, both within and beyond his own denomination. He's going to share with us some of his thoughts on what is happening in the church and how or even if it can be fixed. Welcome to the Church Matters Chair, Willard. Thank you. It's good to be here. The Canadian Council of Churches represents some 25 denominations in Canada. As you sit around the table with that diverse group of church leaders, what stories are you hearing about the state of the church today? I think that it's important to recognize that the church is still very much alive. Faith is still very much alive, very much vibrant, but I think what's what's fairly common is that the the way in which faith is is engaged or experienced or expressed I think is is under great change. Um, youth uh, aren't interested in necessarily carrying on the expression of faith, the form of expression of faith that the past had had been. They're looking for for different vibrant kind of uh, expressions. They're more entrepreneurial. And that, that in and of itself can, can raise quite a challenge for a church that has become quite institutionalized uh, for good reasons and has been very effective, but, um, but isn't quite able then to, to be flexible enough to readily embrace new expressions. I think that's fairly common. When you say younger generations are more entrepreneurial in expressing their faith, can you give us an example of what that might look like? In one of the conversations I've, I've had with my counterparts as denominational leaders, we were talking about youth, uh, young adults that were graduating from Bible colleges, seminaries, preparing themselves for ministry, and that that's been a declining number, and that's fairly well across Christian expression. 
But one denominational leader said that they don't have a, a shortage in people that are graduating, ready to become new parish ministers. Their problem is that these new graduates are not interested in pastoring the congregations that are needing pastors. They're looking for a different kind of entrepreneurial expression. Uh, that, I think, is, a, is a, a very clear case in point. People still want to be engaged in expressing faith, in embracing faith, but they're not too keen on carrying on the traditional way in which that has been expressed. So I hear you saying it might not look like a pastor in front of a podium in a sanctuary on a Sunday morning. Yeah, I think so. I think that's very true. And I think part of the challenge is that there is such a a change at foot um, and it'll probably be to such an extent that we're not able, those, those, those of us that are currently engaged, are not really able to conceptualize what that might look like. And, and because we, we have problems conceptualizing what the new expression might look like, it creates a lot of anxiety because, because then we're fearful that there will be no new expression. But there actually will. We just, we just perhaps aren't able to see it yet. How are these things that you're learning playing out in your denomination of Mennonite Church Canada? Yeah, Mennonite Church Canada has been undergoing a, a very huge uh, reorganization, a restructuring. Um, and that, that has, has been difficult for many people, for those that have found a lot of meaning and value and identity in the current structures and ministries. Uh, a big change like this is is very painful. It's, it's it can feel very disheartening for those that are ready and eager to try new initiatives. Uh, change probably feels like it can't come fast enough. Uh, so it's a mixture of I think responses. Anytime there's there's change that is initiated. And do you think that those same sentiments would carry right through to the congregational level as well? I think so. I think certainly congregational leaders are very aware, pastors are very aware that congregational life today is not the same as congregational life was just 10 years ago or even further. If we, if we hearken back to what would feel like the glory days of church life, the 50s and the 60s, when it was very regular that everybody went to church every Sunday, and not just on Sunday mornings. Many had Sunday evening services. They had midweek Bible studies. Uh, So that kind of era of expression is very different than currently, where, where regular church attendance is defined by attending once a month. That's that's a vast difference. And so I think congregations are, are recognizing that the level of programming they could assume in the past is just no longer sustainable. So Mennonite Church Canada is on the cusp of some pretty significant changes. Do you think... It's behind of or ahead of the curve on this uh, as compared to other church organizations? Well, it's pretty hard for a Mennonite to claim that they're ahead of the, ahead of the curve. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, I, but I think perhaps in this regard, um, we have been very diligent in trying to, to be ahead of this dynamic. I've, um, I've certainly been working with uh, the executive leadership across the country and have been trying to say, I think we have opportunity to do some good work, some good thinking now. 
if we don't seize that opportunity, we'll probably be forced to come right back to this conversation in another five years, 10 years, but we'll be much more decimated in the kind of resource, financial, people, energy resource that we have. And we'll be at a much a much weaker place to be able to do the kind of restructuring and revisioning that, that we're doing now. So in that sense, I'm hoping we're a bit ahead of the curve. Willard, you speak with a lot of folks of the younger generations. Um, what are you hearing when you talk about what it means to be a Christian witness in this part of the 21st century? For many of the young adults and youth that I, I speak with, um, they're, they're expressing a lot more willingness to embrace not just diversity, but disagreement. So that, that's a huge shift, I think, um, where, where disagreement is not only something that's, that's accepted, it's actually celebrated. And that if an, a body, an institution like the church says, all right, we're all in agreement on this, the youth and young adults that I've spoken to, many of them would be would say, "Well, that's suspicious." Then I don't believe that. So that that that's that's going to be a huge challenge, I think, for for church organizations, faith communities that that have put a lot of emphasis on defining unity as being one in agreement. And I think the youth and young adults that I've that have been speaking with me would define unity expressed more in how we treat one another. And then that that way you can be in outright disagreement and still be in unity, still be unified because you treat each other as family, as brothers, as sisters, as um, as fellow sojourners. That's a key, I think. Um, the other is that many of the youth and young adults that I speak to want their faith expression to be on the front end of, of, um, of addressing issues of poverty and social injustice. They're, they don't seem to have a lot of patience just to go through the routine of worship service unless that somehow has a direct connect to making a real live impact in, in society and in their culture. So that's, that's exciting for me. So words alone aren't good enough. They've got to be followed with action. That's what I hear you saying. Yeah, and not only – and it's not that they're, that they're pointing to others, that they should be becoming more active, but that the youth and young adults that have been speaking to me are, are ready to be engaged and want their church to actually, um, actually provide that opportunity, help provide the opportunity for greater engagement. When the values and traditions that – founded our congregations and our institutions feel threatened. It's easy to feel scared and disenchanted while others feel a hopeful sense of opportunity for positive change. Where are you personally on that spectrum of sentiments about the future of the church? My sense has been that I think God is calling us, calling the church in North America into a stronger recovery of what it means to truly trust in God. I think, by and large, as faith communities, we've been trying to shoulder all the, 
the, the traditions, the understandings, the structure, the ministry of the past, trying to hold that up and have been fervently praying to God, God, help us. You know, we're, we're crumbling. We can't hold this up anymore. And we're begging God to give us the strength we need or to intercede. And I think God is saying, I, I don't want to help you hold it up. I actually want you to, to let it down, to to have it come down to the ground and then and then let's start to reimagine what the structure and ministry the response should look like in this time frame and so so I I'm I'm very hopeful for the future even though I acknowledge I can't see it I don't know what it's going to look like and I think that's part of God's grand design as church leaders We've often been been able to and, and quite excited about building our our vision, our operating plans, our our uh, goals, and be able to measure against those goals and achievement. And then we ask God to bless them, as we should. We we want to be engaged and, and want to double check that that this is actually God's direction. But I think inadvertently our confidence and faith has been in that ability to vision and to and to create those goals and to monitor against them. Whereas I think what God is inviting us into is into more of that journey into the wilderness. And immediately, so God says, come and follow me. Our immediate question is, to where? How long will it take? What will it look like? And I think God is going to intentionally be silent in answering those questions, because that's the crux of trust. It's come and follow me. Where? Just follow me. How long will it take? Just follow me. What will it look like? Just follow me. That's going to be tough. We all like that kind of true trust experience and the, and the beautiful feeling of being embraced, the warmth of that embrace, but... But, it, um, but to live into that vulnerability is never easy and rarely welcomed. Do you think the church, the organized church, should take a sabbatical? And is the organized church ready to take a sabbatical? Two questions, yes. Is, should the church be taking a sabbatical? I think... Rather than maybe framing it as a sabbatical, I would say, I think the church should feel confident in the Spirit of God at work, in being able to discern a little longer than the normal, than usual. I don't think we need to be so quick to make sure that that we discover the next big program or the next big ministry, or you know, because we we define our sense of, of having heard God by whether or not we, we have success, as, as we define it, success in our ministry and our program. I, th- I think God would welcome us to, to slow that down and just to take time to look around and, and actually see that the Spirit of God is active all around us. It isn't dependent on us. God wants to use us. God wants very much the church to flourish, but but maybe it, it needs to flourish very differently than it has been in very different areas, in very different ways. Is the church ready for that? I think, 
I think human experience prevents us from being ready for that. We like to anchor ourselves in common things. We like routine. We like to know what's happening. We like to know what we can expect. Uh, and, and this, I think, is a time where God is inviting us to, into a new level of vulnerability. And that's, that's where trust is birthed. In the first part of your answer to that question, I heard a, uh, a subtle reference to a text that you and I have talked about prior to this interview from 1 Corinthians 3. God has made us confident and competent ministers of the gospel. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm really trying to do some more thinking and studying on that because I'm quite, I'm quite drawn to this concept of competence. As North American Christian expression, we tend to think uh, of competency in terms of our ability, our resourcefulness, our education, whatever that might be that, that makes us feel competent. And the text points instead that the competency is linked to the Spirit of God at work. So it's not linked to our ability. It's not linked to, to the, our skill set. It's linked to our openness, our readiness to engage with the Spirit of God's work. That's, that's exciting to me. And I think, I think the church would do well to, to listen deeply and listen closely to what the Spirit of God is saying in the hearts of our children, of our youth, and, and, and to help call that to life. Encourage our children. What are you hearing? What's the dreams that God is placing in your mind? What's the visions that God is giving you? I, I think that's, that's where the future is being birthed, I think. That's, that's, that's where the Spirit of God is, I'm going to say, even giddy. <laughs> uh, that's, yeah, and I, I don't see it. I, I, I don't, I don't I, you know, I'm, I'm, as, as the older I get, it becomes more and more difficult for me to think as a child. And so instead I need to listen deeply and closely to the children and to... And to encourage them to listen, to pay attention to the dreams that they have, to what, what, God, is, what God is speaking into their hearts, however silly it may feel. We've talked about the future of the church. I want to bring us back to the present. What do you say to the older generation who cherishes the ways of being and doing the church, the ways that are being threatened and lost? I think people of all demographics, age demographics in the church, we're all seeking to express faithfulness. We want to serve God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. It yearns in us. And for the older generation, they have done that well. And, and, and now I think they can be confident, even though we don't understand it, they can be confident that that same yearning is going to find new expression, different expression. I don't hear from their children, their youth, their grandchildren. I don't hear an abandonment of a love for God. I don't hear an abandonment for wanting to follow after God. I do hear that they want to express that love 
and that following differently. And that's something we can, we can still unite in because it's the same yearning to love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's still, that's still driving us. That's something we can celebrate. When we look for what's gone wrong, we like to find scapegoats. One of the scapegoats I've heard used often is the internet. It's fundamentally revolutionized communication. The traditional channels of reaching people have been effectively eclipsed. What happens when there's no longer a mass listening audience for sermons, when people no longer gather together to sing and praise and worship? How is this going to change the strategies that churches have used for generations? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think certainly the the internet, the social media has probably had a greater impact to our faith expression than than what we've we've um we've recognized. One of the key is that people don't need to go to a service to to even hear teaching from the Bible or even to experience worship uh, to hear it. You can download worship, you can listen to worship material, you can download teaching, you can do the searching on your own. It's, it's, so it's sort of leveled the field. Maybe perhaps in, the, in a similar way in which the printing press did in, during the time of the Reformation. And the internet is kind of that new printing press. It, it puts knowledge uh, in the hands of everybody, anybody. I think if the church can can see can see the the, the social media as as a, as an incredible avenue into everyday life of people there is there's a lot of exciting things when somebody if I'm pastoring if somebody gives me their cell phone number that that's a huge invitation into into their life I could text them in the middle of their workday and, and, and actually have, have communication. I, I can connect with them. In the past, I could never have done that. I would have had to maybe call them and have them come back from, get called from their workstation or whatever. It's just, but that, that invitation really does give me entree to, to, to a greater section of their life. And so I think it would do well for churches to imagine how do we how can we really capture this? Cap uh, capitalize on this. This is this is a lot of opportunity. Uh, when I was a youth growing up, it would have been very difficult and I would have had to be incredibly bold to carry a bible with me to school. Now every youth has it, can have it with them on their phone. You know, and, and, and again, the, the, the creative ways in which we can encourage youth then to, to have Bible study or, you know, to, to, to interact with biblical texts in the middle of a day, we can, they can do that in a way that would have been much more difficult in the past. So there's a lot of, a lot of good opportunities, I think, that can come with, with our technology. What are your wildest dreams for the reorganization of Mennonite Church Canada? I, I think it would be really exciting if 
if the church, whether it's Mennonite, name broader, right? You know, if, if the church can be bold enough to gently deconstruct itself sufficiently enough that it now has the capacity to, to enter into a sustained period of ambiguity and uncertainty and be ready to experiment with its people. That would be exciting. Try all kinds of different things. Invite the Spirit of God to, to bring dreams and visions to everybody, you know, and, and, and try all kinds of different things and see what happens for a denomination to be known, to be ready to risk funding, risk energy in things that may not develop into anything, but actually just celebrate that risking and entrepreneurialship. Uh, that that would be that would be in a pretty a pretty exciting denominational stance, not one that most denominations are known for. On behalf of our listeners, Willard, thank you so much for coming in to speak with me today. May God bless you in your work and your travels. Thank you. It was a delight being here. That concludes our conversation with Willard Metzger, Vice President of the Canadian Council of Churches and Executive Director of Mennonite Church Canada. You're invited to join us again in just four weeks for another episode of Church Matters. We're here for you at 8.45 a.m. on the third Sunday of every month. Mennonite Church Canada will host a special assembly in Winnipeg from October 13 to 15 this fall, 2017, where delegates from across the country will consider proposals for reorganization that will have implications for congregations, regional churches, area conferences, and the national church. Visit futuredirectionsmc.ca for more details. We love to hear from our listeners, whether it's by email, phone, or snail mail. Tell us what's on your mind. Call us at 1-866-888-6785 or email us at churchmatters at mennonitechurch.ca. And you can always snail mail us at 600 Shaftesbury Boulevard, Winnipeg, Manitoba, R3P0M4. This program and the ministries of Mennonite Church Canada rely on your gifts. Please give generously via MennoniteChurch.ca. I'm your host, Dan Dick. Know that you are called, equipped, and sent to be the church in the world today. Thanks for listening. As you go out from here, may the Lord go with you. The face of God shine on you every day. We are sent by God wherever we are living, salt and light as people of the way.